You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. Today's show is dedicated to stopping Aboriginal deaths in custody and it's also dedicated to looking at systemic racism in regards to Aboriginal people. It's approximately 4.02 and I'm still doing the show remotely from home as it's still the COVID-19 lockdown. And indeed, um, later on in the show, we will be speaking also about police powers and lockdown and how that has affected First Nations people and other vulnerable communities. But first up on the show, we'll be speaking with Latoya Rule, who's a very much-loved guest on our show, and she's been on our show a few times now. Um, Latoya, um, listeners may recall, Latoya is the, the, the brother of Wayne Fallon Morrison, who died in custody, and we're going to be hearing from her shortly um, about that, and she'll be giving us an update not only on the inquest but also on, an, on a ridic- ridiculous and weird twist of fate or should I say um, error, where a coroner um, was, was almost removed um, from, from the inquest. And I don't understand the whole logistics of it, and I don't think many people do, really. There are many, many questions in regards to this Aboriginal death in custody and why guards haven't written incident reports and why haven't some of them um, been put, put forward as witnesses. So we'll be looking at that, and then after that we'll also be speaking with Tessa Theokaris, who is the Principal Solicitor and an accredited criminal law specialist. And she has her own practice, and we'll be speaking with her about uh, the brother of Veronica Nelson. Veronica Nelson has recently died. She's an Aboriginal woman that died in custody at the Dame Phyllis Frost Centre. And um, this man, Dwayne Kennedy, was actually arrested when he shouldn't have been arrested. There were many errors in regards to his court case. Um, And he was arrested sitting on a a, a, um, 
in the on a park bench, not far from home, and he, and he had homeless issues, homelessness issues. Jane Kennedy has Kennedy has finally been freed after two bail applications by his lawyers that have been unsuccessful, forcing them to apply for an urgent Supreme Court bail hearing. In releasing Mr Kennedy, Victorian Supreme Court Judge Stephen Kay found that a string of errors led to the man's arrest and that he should never have been imprisoned. So we're going to be looking at that and systemic racism. Just wanted to give a very a very brief but comprehensive introduction before we speak to LaToya, and I'll be drawing your attention, um, the attention of listeners, about that shortly. So we'll be speaking with LaToya soon. G'day, you mob. Kutcher Edwards here. I just want to send out a message to you all. To stop the spread of COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus, it is advised that you keep 1.5 metres away from each other. Follow rules on social gatherings. Wash your hands when appropriate. And stay home if you're feeling sick or unwell. But most of all, keep strong, stay safe. And of course, keep listening to 3CR Community Radio to keep connected to the community. We'll get through this and hope to see you real soon. Bye. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And we've got Latoya on the line. Hello, Latoya. Welcome. Hi, how are you? Good, good. As well as can be expected in these really tough times, Latoya. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's been a very difficult time for, for everyone, but in particular for vulnerable communities, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm just um, actually, believe it or not, having a conversation over Twitter right now with the South Australian Premier, Stephen Marshall, about... Um, what his plan is for, you know, people in prisons here in South Australia. And so this pandemic, I guess, has opened up some doors of communication, which is great, but um, we still need to see outcomes and solid outcomes, you know? So, yeah. Absolutely. So let's have a look then, and it's it's really wonderful that you've been able to come on and, and, and speak about your brother because it would be very painful, wouldn't it? But but it's it's very difficult. But at the same time, it's good to... Get it out, isn't it? Oh, it's been such a heavy week and a half or so now. Um, but, yeah, you know, your show, particularly as I was saying before, has just um, been a method for me even to be able to be accountable to how I'm sharing information and how the community is getting this stuff out because it does affect other other cases. Um, so, yeah, while it is hard, I guess um, I just really thank you for continuing to bring voice the issue. We wouldn't be doing anything else, Latoya, but, it, but thank you so much. That's, that's fantastic. So, um, first of all, could you just introduce yourself and tell us what land you're from and also what land your brother was from? Yep. So, um, I've lived on... Oh, sorry, my name's Latoya Adoharu. <laughs> I'm a Rajarian Māori um, person who's lived on Ghana land my entire life now. Um, my brothers, Radri, Gugutha and Wiringu, my family from the far west coast um, of, of the base now known as South Australia. Um, and, yeah, he passed away in Yatla Prison um, on the 26th of September 2016. 
And so it's been, you know, coming up in this September to four years um, since his passing um, and uh, nearly two years since this coroner's court's been going on um, surrounding his death. And he died in the Royal Adelaide Hospital, didn't he? He did, yeah. Yeah, um, he was on life support. Um, obviously, he uh, after the incident, people may have seen on the news of um, him being, quote-unquote, restrained by corrections officers in South Australia's prison, Yatla Prison. Um, he was taken to the Royal Adelaide Hospital and was there for almost three days on life support but never regained consciousness. And, yeah, we turned off his machine in the morning at 3.40am. Indeed. And uh, and in the week before his death, um, Mr Morrison had been taken into custody on remand, hadn't he? And due to overcrowding, he was held at the Golden Hill cells before being moved to Yatala Labor Prison, where he was waiting to appear in the Elizabeth Magistrates Court by video link. Yeah, that's correct. I was told at the time um, that it was due to overcrowding. I mean, we're still yet to have anybody actually um, be accountable for that information Absolutely. and accept it. Um, but, yeah, that's what I was told at the time. It's we, we, we never will know what actually happened because it appears that, you know, the guards were were trying to give him some sort of resuscitation. I'd like to know why an ambulance wasn't called. Yeah, that's an incredible point to make. Um, you know, obviously prison health um, is is apparent in the prison, like they have access to um, those services. It's not as if, you know, it, it wasn't a possibility. Um, and their own practices of resuscitation are clearly, um, were clearly not good enough. So he was, you know, dead essentially for 50 minutes um, before they were able to, um, I guess, keep him breathing or resuscitate him. But, I mean, that raises a lot of questions for me, if I'm honest, um, towards if he if he was actually alive or if it was a machine during the final moments of his life actually keeping him looking and appearing um, as if he was alive, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, being with him in that space, yeah, it, it wasn't the same... It didn't. It didn't feel like he was there at all. Um, and I mean, if somebody's, you know, clinically dead for fifty minutes, there's no coming back from that. And we know that he never did. That's exactly right, Latoya. And, and, and in fact, it appears that from the scanty information that we've been given, that there there appeared to have been some type of incident um, that happened while he was being transported in the van. I think what I find um, quite strange is the fact that there was awareness among prison guards of the positional asphyxia um, and so that listeners are aware, Latoya, perhaps we should explain it, shouldn't we, that as a, this, this particular term, that positional mm -hmm. asphyxia, and it's spelled A-S-P-H-Y-X-I-A, 
for people that don't, aren't familiar with the medical terms. And it's a situation that occurs where a person is restrained in a way that leaves them unable to breathe. And it's a key issue in the currently suspended New South Wales inquest into the death of, um, of David Dunguy. And you'd be familiar with David Dunguy where he died in a similar way. Yeah, that's David Dungay. Um, Dungay, sorry. And yeah, that's okay. Um, yeah, David um, is the son of Latona Dungay, um, and that family is a really staunch family in New South Wales fighting this case. And David was in his cell um, eating biscuits. So it was, to my knowledge, he was diabetic. He was asked to stop. Uh, he refused to stop eating a biscuit. To my knowledge, and essentially. Um, he was suffocated by a few guards who pinned him down and he was saying, I can't breathe, very similar to what we know in this in the States with a lot of the um, black deaths there that are raised by black deaths in custody, you know, this common element of I can't breathe and the correction said to him, if you can talk, you can breathe. Um, exactly. I mean, he died. He died, you know, in his last words, were asking for assistance and for help. Um, That's right. You know, there's clear parts of these cases where, um, yeah, in our in our family members' final moments, they're actually asking for help. And for my brother's life, you know, I will never know what was, you know, what were his final words. Um, but I can tell you now that he submitted throughout the course of his time in lead up to the incident. Um, you know, medical forms that were never processed. We've heard evidence so far about that. Um, and, you know, he was asking for help. There's footage of him that I've seen that won't be released to the public of, you know, really, really sad and depressing moments of some of his final moments um, with, you know, a blanket over his head rocking back and forth. This was a day before the incident happened. Now, that tells me that, you know, he needed help. And majority of the people who pass in custody, you know, moments before they do so, they actually just need assistance and proper medical care um, and proper human care. And it's inhumane treatment that's been provided to them instead. Um, and, yeah, that's the outcome of what happened. Very inhumane. And, and the reason why I mentioned, I, I mentioned David, I wasn't trying to compare. I was just trying to, you know... Let you know, talk about the fact that not only were they similar, but also that there was a quote from one of the guards here in an NITV article um, from September 2018, where the guard actually says, "Oh, well, this is in relation to your brother." Where the guard says, "Oh, we deal with these situations from time to time, and we're not sure whether they're faking it." He said, "Yeah." Um... Firstly, no, I think we have to draw comparisons, so thank you for doing oh. so. Like, I think that um, isolating any Aboriginal... Yeah, isolating any Aboriginal death in custody away from some, you know, away, away from the truth behind the systemic injustice that's occurring um, is, is not the way to go. You know, we have to be drawing comparisons because this is a structured and organised crime that's going on against Aboriginal peoples and has been doing so since colonisation. So they definitely are related. Um, and, yeah, this idea of faking it. I mean, you know that I've done my own research in academia yes. at university around yes. this idea of... Um, I actually looked at the case of Miss Jew and 
in Western Australia who passed away in 2014 and thinking about, you know, how she was treated and this idea that, yeah, Aboriginal people are not honest and not truthful about, you know, the things that are happening to us, yet when we pass away, we're blamed. We are blamed for our own death. Um, we are blamed for, you know, these underlying discourses that, uh, inherently criminal, that are inherently, you know, criminalise Aboriginal people. And so, you know, as an Aboriginal person walking down the street, we're automatically targeted as being untrustworthy, as being dishonest, as, um, yeah, hiding, hiding things that are not true. Um, and that all relates back also to, you know, cultural aspects that the coloniser cannot penetrate. I mean, the unknown information that they so desperately want to know about Aboriginal people. And so, yeah, it'll, it's very systemic, it's very racist. Um, and the idea that somebody could be fighting for life and crying out for help, which, are, you know, majority of the cases of Aboriginal deaths in custody, you know, those individuals have done at the time of their death, and that being seen as a lie. Um, exactly. And, and you'd be aware also that Miss Jew you know, the police and, and the health system were making out that Miss Jew was faking her symptoms right up until the point of her death. And she died Absolutely. from pneumonia and, and septus, you know? And in turn was given things like diazepam, which Wayne was also given, you know, and for to calm behaviour, for behavioural issues, actually. Miss Jew was diagnosed, it says on her medical records, behavioural issues. I mean, somebody's crying out for to be essentially taken care of. I don't want to say saved because I don't think no, no. the colonial state can ever save us or do we want sure. that. But, you know, crying out for medical attention um, and she's got behavioural issues for doing so. You know, now, what does that speak to when Aboriginal people actually want help? You know, <laughs> our behaviour of asking for help um, is deemed inappropriate. And, I mean, that speaks to a whole lot of discourses around poverty, welfare, dependence. You know, there's so many key parts of every Aboriginal death in case that actually stand outside that individual and more so about Aboriginality um, and how that's criminalised, despite who you are and despite what you've done. Uh, it's still an association to, yeah, being Aboriginal, being a person of colour, being black in Australia, being criminal because of that. Absolutely, and I'm so glad we've been able to talk about the background and also to highlight like, other deaths in custody. So, Latoya, can you take us through the inquest? Obviously, the findings haven't been handed down, but I don't think there is any harm at all in talking about the inquest itself, about what happened. Could you just talk about some of the, the things that happened at inquest and also look at recently about why the coroner was almost um, taken off, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, there are just so, so many again, issues here. There are yeah. so many issues <laughs> and we're far, <laughs> from, we're far from finished, um, which, you know, is a positive and a negative thing at the same time. Um, so essentially, yeah, every Aboriginal death in custody since the um, Royal Commission into Aboriginal Death in Custody released in 91... Um, has immediately, um, uh, what's the word, 
Yeah, uh, essentially. I'm just trying to overcomplicate it. That's okay. Essentially, a coroner's court has to come from an Aboriginal death in custody. Um, And every Aboriginal death in custody has one. Now, we know in history that many Aboriginal peoples who have passed in custody actually um, haven't had coroner's courts even passed, haven't had that kind of... um, investigation even past those Royal Commission recommendations and that's an injustice in itself. So when it comes to my brother's case, seeing things like the coroner being sent to the Supreme Court of South Australia um, to be kicked off the case and for corrections officers and lawyers, over 19 plaintiffs not, you know, fighting so that they don't have to show up to give evidence at all in the coroner's court. Um, and pleading what we call a penalty privilege against self-incrimination. Um, that's a show of them, you know, not wanting to even proceed with the findings from the Royal Commission into Aboriginal death in custody and not wanting to proceed with, um, yeah, the fact that investigation should be carried through. They think that it's a non-issue. So all that work that happened between, you know, what was it, 87 possibly yep. or 86? to 91, you know, they're throwing that out. They're spitting in the face of every Aboriginal person and every non-Aboriginal ally who worked on those cases and actually cared about this enough for it to be sent, you know, to the Human Rights Commission and to be to be a national issue. They're spitting in the oh, face. Oh, you're talking about the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. The so recommendations. Drawing, yeah, yeah, those recommendations, yeah. So by drawing the issue of, you know, going to a Supreme Court case to overthrow a coroner, um, that spits in the face of those recommendations and those people who worked on that Royal Commission, um, you know, back in the day and all the work they'd done, essentially, and saying that it's a non-issue today. And so, yeah, so far in the coroner's court, we've seen a number of corrections officers, health workers, um, you know, Correction staff talk to majority that they've spoken to is things like um, the systems that you know were identified of how to identify notice custody notifications. So essentially, um, they call it NOC N O C, a notification of concern. Yes, and you know all the technical issues around their systems about when those knocks can be raised, and we've seen and heard from a few. Um, People in prison, uh, some of them were Aboriginal who were in the same cell with Wayne and some of their evidence we've heard. Um, We're yet to hear from over... So the seven in the van, we're yet to hear from them um, and a few other key players, I guess, in this case. Um, And so, yeah, to stall the process, I believe, to stall the process, they took it to the Supreme Court case. They said to said about the coroner, they put against the coroner that um, she was biased. So back in the day, a long time ago, um, the coroner actually represented the union for prisons. Um, now, funnily enough, they're saying almost on our behalf, corrections are saying almost on our behalf that there's a bias there because she represented um, the union. Now, we've prior to all of this happening in the Supreme Court case, have said, we actually don't think that's a bias. It was a long time ago. 
none of the corrections officers or anybody in the case involved in Wayne's case were part of that um, process that she went through of representing corrections unions um, a long time ago, and we just want to proceed with the case. So essentially what they've done is almost acting, you know, talking on our behalf by saying, no, we think that that's biased against ourselves. <laughs> We're going to take oh. it to the Supreme Court. Now, that's already an issue because they haven't listened to our voice as a family or what we want. They've used this tiny detail to try to overthrow the coroner and get her kicked off the case. Alongside that, um, they've also said, yeah, we don't think our 19 plain sex or rather sorry, the seven corrections officers and the other um, corrections officers and health workers that are part of our nine team um, have to give any evidence. And in fact, that the evidence that they have given to date has been um, tampered oh. with due to this bias that apparently exists, right? That, so, it'll, yeah. yeah. So they're trying to throw out the evidence that's already come up to this point along with the future evidence Completely. So the entire case they were trying to say is... Um, discredited. Yeah, is discredited and is biased and shouldn't, you know, stand up at all. Um, As you've been and talking they did... with... Yeah, go on. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, no, but this is good what you've said. It's, it's a, Because you've explained it really well. Like, you, you've actually explained how... It's discredited and stalling. You use the word stalling there, Latoya. And mm. is it fair to say that lawyers for the prison guards argue that they should be able to exercise privilege against self-exposure to a penalty, privilege against self-incrimination, and that the coroner's court was not entitled to look at what happened after Mr Morrison was pulled from the van? Precisely. Yeah, that right? that's the key point. That's exactly the other point. There were a few points that they were making, and that was the main one. And actually, um, and not to jump too far ahead, but, yeah, essentially we sat in for those two weeks. I think it was about two weeks or a week listening and to that. And when was that? Um, that was towards the end of last year, possibly okay, November. Okay, so, so that was so 2018... In 2018, when it first started, they were doing that. The, the lawyers were doing that too, and they didn't succeed. Then last year again, I believe in November, the end of November, early December, correct? It was just after yeah, Arnie Tanya's so. inquest, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because I remember right. I saw you in, in in the coroner's court um, during Arnie Tanya's inquest, and you said that you were going to the other the inquest in December, I believe, there or the end go. of November. Yeah, there. That was That's last right. year. And yeah. so they were again reopening those issues, weren't they? Trying to to get the coroner away from the case, right? That's right. Yeah. So they were doing it again. So they so in effect, is it fair to say that they appealed Miss Spacia's decision in the South Australian Supreme Court, which found yeah, the deputy coroner right. did not deny penalty privilege or legal professional privilege to the prison guards. And there was no reasonable yeah. apprehension of bias. That's right. So, initially, so she won the case, basically. So I did, yeah, sorry, I did forget that point. So initially That's they okay. did put it to her. Um, they put it to her in the coroner's court and stopped the process then. And then we had to wait for her judgment to come by about what she would do. And she said, no, I don't think this bias is, um, 
you know, important, essentially. I don't think it tarnishes the case. And then they did appeal that, and it's gone to the Supreme Court. Now, they can appeal it again. They, they can could. do that. It will go to another level within the Supreme Court, and then it can go to another level in what we call the High Court. Um, and they can do that if they please. And, in fact, we're waiting to see what they will do if they do make a submission in that way, right? So this isn't finished again by any means. It's not that we just get a directions hearing and we go back and everything continues. Um, we do have to wait for that, and I think we've got they've got about another week until they come up with a submission for what they want that's to do. That's crazy, Latoya. That's, that's crazy. Like, mm. In effect, what's happening is that the, the inquest findings and the a whole inquest is being obstructed. Yeah. Isn't this an obstruction of justice? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like I was just having a look here at some of the the things that they were saying, that the, the, the lawyers for the guards were saying in regards to this um, coroner or deputy coroner, and they tried to say that she had a previous association with the Correctional Officers Legal Fund and it was... In effect, a, yeah. a conflict of interest. Luckily, that was ruled that was ruled not true, or well, that was only slight. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, sorry, it wasn't the union; it was the legal fund. But essentially, same thing <laughs> in my eyes, anyway. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, there's a saying about you know justice delayed is justice denied, um, and this is exactly exactly what's been you know been happening. Not only because. The more time that goes on, essentially, people forget, right? And it's very hard to have a reliable witness when there's quite an amount of time between um, the event that occurred. And that's another issue. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just interesting. But essentially, what did come from Justice Blue's, um, so the Supreme Court judge, um, Justice Blue's judgment, was, oh, by the way, I didn't get to even be part of the video link for that or be part of any correspondence. We only found out um, less than 12, what was it, less than 24 hours before that the judgment was even being passed down. So that's another issue about how we're being disrespected. Um, but, yeah, essentially, so his, his rule to keep the coroner on the case, um, however, proceeding... Like moving forward, um, it will be a case by case basis if corrections officers can actually um, apply for the penalty privilege. So essentially, they will have to show up physically. They do have to answer questions, but essentially, the way it will go is they will start, if they choose to, plead the penalty privilege against self incrimination. It will then stop things will have to be looked into and then they'll proceed by question by question. Um, so the, I guess the definitions around what those questions may or may not include, what they are allowed to include, all of that information is still yet to be discussed. Um, and yeah, so while we did, I don't like the word win because you don't really win it. No, no, you can't. We can't bring yeah. it back. Yep. No, but and and while you know we did get the kind of stay, and you know at the end of the day, I don't know what her judgments will be. I trust that she's a just coroner and that she'll do what is right. Um, and I can only trust that, right? Like I don't trust the system, but that's my hope for this case, and I'll keep that hope. 
until it's changed, if it is. But um, essentially the fact that she's kept on at this stage is good for us with all yes. the evidence that's been given so far. However, Precisely, because because basically, Latoya, you, you know what what we what what I'm trying to say here is not so much that she won the case. I meant that she won the right. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? To to proceed right. with the inquest, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. To be clear, um, because because we have to win the right to um, proceed, and I'm h- hoping that that happens soon. You know, there's no date set, is there yet? No, that's the other no. thing, you know. Again, we have to wait for the corrections to come back with their um, submissions and then, you know, we'll get directions, hearings, and I'll know and I'll be, I'll be able to let everybody know as well. Thank um, you, Because Victoria. it's really important, I guess, up to this date, particularly for South Australia, I yeah. haven't necessarily called a bunch of people to attend. For the Supreme Court, we did have a bunch, which was excellent. But for these seven, you know, the people who spent the final moments with my brother in that van with no CCTV when he was pulled out, essentially dead, um, unconscious, you know, those seven need to see our faces. They need to see the community's faces. They need to be accountable. And so, Absolutely. yeah, I do need people to be down there during that time. Let's talk again um, when a date set, Latoya, and, and I'm hoping it's not going to be next year, um, oh. and that we we actually speak about that. And I suppose, really, because we, we haven't got much longer, because I'm going to be speaking with Tessa soon, um, about Excellent. Mr Kennedy, yeah. who was very oh, unfairly arrested in Victoria recently. Yeah. Um, but, um, so, yeah, I'm hoping that, that the guards are held accountable, because a lot of them didn't write incident reports and a lot of them were, um, lied and said that they they had gone home when the investigators actually tried to to bring them out as witnesses. So a lot of stuff yeah. here, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we know that some corrections officers actually went home and got drunk and when investigators yeah. showed up to their home, they were essentially disintoxicated. Some yeah. didn't seize their clothing or material. You know, uh, things were cleaned. Prison vans were still in use, so evidence was in use. And I've actually sat in the prison van where that happened to Wayne. And I've, you know, seen it and actually changed multiple things inside the prison van already immediately following his passing. So, you know, there's so much tampering with this case, yet they want to say that the only thing in this case that has been tampered with is the bias argument. I mean, I know. Yeah, we can absolutely throw everything back on them. And that's something oh, that we will do in time. Yeah. Mm, there's so much. You know, it's going to be part of, and it will, sorry, it will continue as part of my life's work from now. I know that, you know, and I'm, I'm dedicated to making that a, an issue um, and making sure that globally, you know, these issues continue to be recognised for the, the state that Australia is. Mm. Absolutely. Latoya, thank you so much for coming onto the program and, and it's good that we're able to talk about this in detail and I'm hoping that we can have a chat to you again um, before the inquest sure. resumes. Absolutely. Thank you again for having me and love to all of you and all my all my love and safety as well. Hey, thank you of everybody. Right now. Good on you, Latoya. Any final Take comments care. before you go? Oh, um, yes. Actually, 
at the moment there are a, a bunch of us, particularly uh, who are prison abolitionists, but also as well families of people who are in custody or who are currently in custody who are Aboriginal. And we've put together a COVID-19 response called hashtag um, clean out prisons. And so if people see that around, if they can please take a photo with them holding some soap or some hand sanitizer, essentially with the hashtag clean out prisons, and also send that to the prisons as um, yeah, people inside are not receiving the appropriate health care that they need right now to stay safe. And we know that cases have arisen in places like Queensland um, and everybody's at risk. So, yeah, people are able to do that. That would help us so much and help people inside to know that they, you know, they've got people out here who care about them. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Is that on Facebook? Yep, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, hashtag clean out prisons. You'll see what hashtag to do there. clean out prisons. Okay. Make it go viral. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. All right, Latoya, keep up the good work and let's um, have ju- justice for, for Wayne and all Aboriginal deaths in custody and indeed all deaths in custody. Yeah, yeah agreed. All right, okay. take care. Take care. Bye for now. Bye-bye. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done By Law. 6pm Tuesdays. An important message from the Victorian Government about coronavirus. To manage coronavirus and save lives, immediate action is required. This means if you can stay home, you must stay home. Yes, it's a major disruption to your lives, but this disruption today will save the lives of many Victorians tomorrow. If you think you may have coronavirus, call the government's hotline on 1800 675 398 or visit coronavirus.vic.gov.au. Victorian Government. Managing this together. A 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And we're going to be speaking with Tessa shortly. Tessa, my apologies. I was actually reporting on an inquest of um, Wayne Feller Morrison Aboriginal deaths in custody, and we were actually getting into some quite complicated um, evidence there. So we needed to actually wrap that up. So sorry about that. But just no, that's introduce- no problem. Oh, thank you so much for your understanding. But introducing you very briefly, I did give a very brief, brief introduction at the beginning that um, Tessa is a criminal lawyer, and she she's a criminal defence lawyer, actually, and she's experienced in representing people from a wide variety of backgrounds and has particular skills in representing Indigenous people, and she's been involved with the Koori Court as well, um, which is what desperately needed. And we're going to be talking about Mr Kennedy today and looking at systemic racism and also looking at the problems of homelessness and also how vulnerable Aboriginal people are when they're in custody, in particular with COVID-19 being a hazard as well. Welcome to the program, Tessa. Thanks for having me, Marissa. Yeah, great. 
So can you talk about what's been going on with Mr Kennedy and, and discuss some of the concerns there? Um, yes, yeah, so for your listeners who might not know about his case, um, Mr Kennedy had been bailed by police to attend Melbourne Magistrates Court in relation to some fairly minor offences. They were largely charges of um, shop theft. Um, given COVID-19 situation, the courts have issued a practice direction saying that anybody who's been charged to appear on bail or summons is not required to attend court and their cases will be adjourned administratively. Um, so in relation to Mr Kennedy's case, um, my office had emailed the court and confirmed that he wasn't required to attend and the court had emailed us back and said that's right because he's not in custody, he won't be required to come to court. What transpired was that um, the police prosecutor stood up in court that day and sought a warrant for Mr Kennedy in in direct contravention of the practice direction. And unfortunately, the magistrate agreed and granted that application and issued warrants for his arrest. The following day, he was um, found by police. He was actually asleep on a bench in Collingwood and the police um, issued him with a fine, a COVID-19 fine for not being home, despite the fact that he had homelessness issues. And then when they looked on their system, they thought that they saw that these warrants had been issued by the court and so they arrested him. Um, what then took place was a series of um, egregious acts by the police. That's the only way I can explain them. So Mr Kennedy was presented before the magistrate's court in an after-hours hearing because it was the weekend by this stage. Um, police opposed his application for bail and he in fact represented himself before the court on the weekend. Um, I was then advised on the Monday that he'd been remanded in custody, bail refused and I urgently sought uh, a listing before the court for another application for bail. Again, the police opposed his application for bail and this time the magistrate um, didn't make a decision on bail and remanded him in custody for a further 12 days and I was so angry and outraged at this point that that same day I filed an application in the Supreme Court. That's a really important right that people have if bail is refused by the lower courts. They can appeal to the Supreme Court and that's exactly what we did. The Supreme Court was um, so concerned by the situation that they responded to me the same day and we had a hearing date um, four days later in the Supreme Court. And interestingly, once we'd got to the Supreme Court, the police had done a complete backflip on their decision and they advised the court they were no longer opposed to Mr Kennedy being granted bail and, in fact, the Supreme Court granted him bail there. This is a really quite a grave concern, isn't there? What are the underlying issues here, do you think, Tessa? I think um, at the heart of all of this is the way Victoria Police treats Indigenous people. Um, so it's, it's um, so outrageous that they took the steps that they did and it all started when they actively sought a warrant that day in court rather than allowing his matters to be adjourned the way they are for everybody else. So my concern is that um, the racism that is so endemic in Victoria Police is then applied when they have discretionary powers. So police prosecutors don't have to seek warrants. That's a matter that's um, 
in the prosecutor's mind that day when they stand up and appear in court. They have that discretion. And for all the other people going before court, they don't seek warrants. Again, they have a discretion about whether they oppose bail or not. They were made aware of Mr Kennedy's situation and by the time of the second bail application in the magistrate's court, they were made aware that the warrants should have never been issued, yet they continued to oppose bail. That's crazy. Well, sadly, it's not unusual. Um, as a criminal lawyer representing um, mostly Indigenous people, I see um, this type of racism from Victoria Police on a daily basis. So basically what you're saying is that they... That why they shouldn't have they shouldn't have issued the warrant. No, they never should have issued that warrant. They never should have sought that warrant in the first place. But once they had, as I said, they continued to act with maximum prejudice against Mr. Kennedy by opposing his further applications for bail. What could have been some alternatives for Mr. Kennedy? Um. Once the warrant had been issued and the police had realised their error, they could have stood up in court and said, we realise that we should not have sought this warrant and we're no longer opposed to bail. These are minor offences. Mr Kennedy does not, not pose a risk to the safety and welfare of the community. We consent to him being granted bail. Yeah, because that's right. And, and, and then he didn't have to appear in court either because of the coronavirus. That's right. Um, the other thing to think about is because of the coronavirus, there are huge delays within the justice system. So um, that's something that the police ought to be taking into account in terms of the impact it has on people, knowing that if they oppose bail for a person and they're remanded in custody, the delays could be extreme and would far outweigh the prison time that someone wouldn't ordinarily serve for such minor offences. They are indeed minor offences and there really should be, needs to be innovative and culturally appropriate programs to help Indigenous There should people. be. And for offences like shop theft, um, my belief is that nobody should serve a prison sentence for an offence like that. No. These are low-level thefts that are committed against um, very large corporate um, shops who have insurance and the offences are committed by people who are in circumstances of extreme poverty, people um, like Mr Kennedy who are experiencing the effects of intergenerational trauma and genocidal policies that we've had in this country for over 200 years. And I think as a society we need to have some understanding about the underlying cause behind these low-level offences and act compassionately rather than punitively when we respond to them. Where is Mr Kennedy now and what's being done for him and what's happening legally with his case? Um, so he was failed to live with his mother in Marutna and one of the supports we were able to put in place is through RUMIAC, which is an Aboriginal organisation in Shepparton, um, and they're providing support to him through their drug and alcohol counselling and medical services. So they're a very um, useful and important organisation in northern Victoria, and he was able to return home to the support of his family where he should be, and he was able to receive culturally appropriate support through an Aboriginal organisation. And they're the types of things that we should be looking at 
for people like Mr Kennedy rather than continuing to incarcerate them. But those things only happened after you represented him. That's right. So the court (laughs) and police immediately respond with punishment and that's part of the problem and that's why we have severe over-representation of Indigenous people in custody is because the system only looks at one side of the equation and that is you're a person who's been charged with stealing something or whatever the charge is. They don't look at the person as a whole person and they also don't look at the impact that invasion has had upon that person, that genocidal policies and stolen generations and stolen wages, the impact that the non-Indigenous community needs to acknowledge they have had a role in contributing to this person's situation today. But instead, the system immediately turns to punishment and the most severe form of punishment is taking away a person's liberty. And that's why we see so many Indigenous people trapped in the prison system. And it's actually worse now because of the fact that, um, that there's, like, there's been wide, widespread criticism of both Victorian police and New South Wales police for the lack of transparency about what constitutes an infringement. And I suppose what I'm trying to say here is that um, with COVID-19, how is a person supposed to stay home if they haven't got a home? <clears throat> well, that's exactly right, Marissa. So, um, again, when there's discretion given to Victoria Police, what we see is they don't exercise their discretion compassionately or humanely. So coming across a person who is homeless, the police should be looking at how can we assist them in housing rather than, well, let's just remand him in custody. That's the police solution for a homeless person. Would it be fair to say that all of these issues in regards to Mr Kennedy contravenes the royal, the recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody. It clearly does. And the government hasn't implemented the recommendations of the Royal Commission. And that's why we see the statistics continuing to worsen. And perhaps it's time for another Royal Commission, given that it's so many years down the road and we're seeing these problems are in fact getting worse. We're continuing to see deaths in custody. Mr Kennedy's own sister is tragically a case of a death in custody that's still going to have to be investigated. Um, the, The situation is not improving for First Nations people. We're going backwards. Absolutely. And not only are we going backwards, but, you know, there have been so many reports of this. You know, you've got Auntie Tanya Day, who was thrown into a police cell instead of, you know, being looked after when, when, when she That's was right. intoxicated. You know, and um, again, it should be a public health issue. Go on. Yes, well, well, that's absolutely right. And again, it's the police have a discretion about arresting someone for being drunk in a public place. And what we know is that when they come across Indigenous people who they suspect are affected by alcohol rather than, again, taking a humane approach and seeing how they can perhaps medically assist that person or assisting them in in getting home to a safe environment with family, the police take the maximum prejudice option, which is arresting that person, taking them into custody, a person who's vulnerable due to their Aboriginality as soon as they're placed in custody, 
and then a series of very unfortunate things that happened to Miss Day. We know that every Aboriginal person that's taken in custody is a potential disaster, yet the police continue to act in this prejudicial way. Of particular concern too is I'd love to know what actually happened to Mr Kennedy when he was in remand, how he was treated. I mean, he could have died in custody. He's vulnerable. He's absolutely vulnerable. And I can tell you, Marissa, that I was unable to speak to him uh, because he was quarantined. So at the moment, people going into the custodial system are placed in solitary confinement for 14 days. And that includes denying them access to speak to their lawyer. The only way I could communicate with Mr Kennedy was through uh, speaking with a prison officer and asking the prison officer to speak to him through the little flap in the wall of his solitary confinement cell. Now, we know that placing a person in solitary confinement is a form of torture, yet this is what is happening to people who are being taken into custody now. It's state-sanctioned torture by placing that person into this quarantine system. So placing somebody into a quarantine system should not be including um, blocking them from phone calls, and in particular with a lawyer. How can one get coronavirus over a telephone? Well, that's an interesting question. I would suggest (laughs) that um, they can't, but the staff in the prisons don't want to take people out of their cells so they can have access to their lawyers and to legal advice. They're denied um, contact with their family members and particularly for Indigenous people and for someone like Mr Kennedy who's experiencing the grief and loss of his own sister in a custodial setting, he was left alone in a cell for 14 days until he was granted bail at the Supreme Court. So that experience for him was one of unnecessary um, and inhumane treatment and had the police done the right thing from the start, he would not have been subjected to that treatment. Are they still still planning to to have the criminal charges against him? Yes, so those charges are still listed. Fortunately, Mr Kennedy's been bailed on those charges, but now um, there'll be an indefinite period of time while we wait for um, the police to provide evidence in, in relation to those charges and see how they'll proceed. I hope he doesn't go to prison. I mean, this is honestly, this is 1788 all over again. You're right, we're going backwards. And in fact, the social distancing measures when when prisoners are in general population, how can you... You can't. Guards can't practice social distancing measures with all the strip searches and the no. other procedures. How no, can they be? can't. And there's a real risk that um, one of the staff in the prisons will inadvertently bring the coronavirus into the prison and then we know we will have a health disaster on our hands. And also, Indigenous prisoners are going to be particularly vulnerable to this disease. That's what all the health advice is. So it's potentially a major health disaster. It is total hypocrisy, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done, legal work and advocacy, and we should continue this discussion. We've got about three minutes left of our show, but just to let listeners know that... Um, Veronica Nelson is Mr Kennedy's sister, as Tessa said, and Veronica Nelson-Walker has been on a community corrections order when she was arrested for shoplifting, and we were talking about those offences before, that really people shouldn't be going to prison for that. She was withdrawing from drugs at the time, and, um, and now she's dead. 
she actually died in custody in January um, and wasn't helped. Any final comments, um, Tessa, before we finish? I would just um, really encourage people, if they find themselves charged with a criminal matter, to seek representation. I think now more than ever, it's very important that particularly First Nations people have strong advocates fighting for them in their corner because the system is weighted so heavily um, against vulnerable people that the the only defence that we have are strong and fearless defence lawyers. So if anyone has come into contact with police and are needing to go to court, I would just really encourage them to make sure um, they get a very good defence lawyer in their corner. Thanks so much, Tessa. Thanks so much for coming onto the program. Thank you for having me, Marissa. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. And that was Tessa um, speaking about Mr Kennedy and some of the genocidal policies that are happening um, and indeed also as a result of the coronavirus as well with the measures. It's approximately, wow, 4.57 and I'll be out of here very soon. Beyond Zero is coming up next and we'll be going on with our theme song, Blackfella, Whitefella. Tune in for the Doing Time show every Monday from 4 to 5 p.m. Goodbye and stay safe. Take care of each other.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.